Thank you. Beautiful music today. Thank you so much. It's good to see you all here today. Man, I was thinking with this beautiful weather that the place would be packed because it's rained like the past few Sundays, hasn't it? The problem is that the weather is too good. And so people want to go to the lake or be outside. So I guess what I need to pray for is, what, cloudy weather? Weather that looks like it's going to rain, but it's not raining yet. So all the excuses that people have for not being in God's house will be taken away. No, seriously, if you want to be here, nothing can keep you from coming. And if you don't want to be here, any excuse will work. But I'm glad you're here. We're looking at the apostles. Looking at the apostles. And uh, the one I want to look at today is Matthew Levi. And uh, I've subtitled it The Business Success. Because Matthew Levi is one of the few apostles who uh, had, a, had a, a, a lucrative job, a lucrative business. And when Jesus looked at him and said, follow me, he left everything. His counting house, his desk. Sometimes I think of Scrooge. You remember all the, all the shows of Scrooge with sitting in his little office with uh, the money, the gold coins piled up on his desk. And you know how he's just kind of hoarding over it and shifting coins from one pile to another. I, I imagine Matthew Levi was a lot like that. Matthew 9, verse 9 says this, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax office and he said to him, two words, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he sat at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Of course, Jesus came to call everybody. The problem is that the righteous did not realize how much they needed Jesus. But the sinners always do. Let's pray. Father, as we come this morning to think about the call that you have on us, two simple words, follow me, and Matthew left a, a prosperous business and never looked back, but followed you. And folks, God realized, God, you know that, that we are prosperous people in this land of plenty called America. And oftentimes our possessions will interfere with the word that, words that you call to us, follow me. And so help us to put our priorities straight, first things first, to follow you. And then everything else will fall behind. So teach us from, from Matthew and help us learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we know that Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew Levi was his name. 
He was a tax collector. He was probably a little older than the other apostles. He had an established business. He was a tax collector. Most of the other apostles were fishermen, you know, uh, minimal wage employees. But Matthew was a, a very successful and profitable businessman. And so he's kind of unique among the other apostles, and it gives us a chance to look at the conflict between business and following Jesus and how Matthew had to decide. As far as being a tax collector, there's probably no disciple more disliked um, or notorious a sinner as was Matthew. Being a tax collector just meant you were a sinner. As a matter of fact, I was reading somewhere, let me get this straight, the Jewish Talmud said that it was okay, it was, matter of fact, it was righteous to lie and deceive a tax collector because that was what a professional extortioner deserved. Now, Chad Alexander is not in our church in this early service, uh, but he wanted to know when I was going to preach on this character. He is, of course, our county tax commissioner. And uh, we've also had some folks in our church like Bill Arnold, who used to work for the IRS but don't anymore. But uh, those, are, those are good and honorable guys and, a, and an honest profession. But 2,000 years ago, it was not the case. And we'll get into that in a minute. His name is Matthew Levi. And it's interesting how the name evolved. I think it evolved from Levi to Matthew. Levi is his Hebrew name, his Jewish name. In, in Mark 2 and Luke chapter 5, he's called Levi the son of Alphaeus. Levi the son of Alphaeus in Mark 2 and Luke 5. Um, as a matter of fact, in Luke 5 verse 27... It says this, after this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. It's this exact same passage as in Matthew, but in Luke he's called Levi. In Matthew he calls himself, incidentally, Matthew wrote Matthew. So he, he calls himself Matthew. A tax collector named Levi, this is Luke 5 verse 27, sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. And he left everything and rose and followed him. And then it says specifically in verse 29 of Luke 5, that Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others sitting at table with him. So we know that this banquet that's referred to in Matthew 9 is in Matthew's house. And we'll get to that in a moment. But it's interesting to me that Luke called him Levi, and Matthew called, calls himself Matthew. And I think the reason why is that Levi was his Hebrew name, his Jewish name, that he was born with and raised with, but when he became a follower of Jesus, when he became a Christian, he was given a Greek name, Matthew. And so when Matthew refers to himself, he always refers to himself as that person after Jesus came into his life. Why? Because the old man no longer exists. Old Levi is gone. Luke calls him Levi, Matthew calls himself Matthew. And he was a tax collector. We know that much. And it's, you know, Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew, but it's interesting how little he places himself in his own Gospel, in his own story. He only shows up twice. Um, one time when uh, he's, he's listing the, here in his call, 
When Jesus calls him and says, follow me, in the second time in chapter 10, verse 3, where he just refers to himself in the list of the apostles as Matthew, the tax collector. What's a tax collector? Well, as I said, a tax collector is the most despised profession in Jesus' day that a Jewish man could have. Incidentally, the Romans, if they wanted to, who, of course, occupied the land and exacted the taxes, they could have put Romans in charge of collecting the taxes. They could have put Romans in charge of doing the dirty work, but they realized early on that using the local people, using Jews, would help keep peace. It was kind of, uh, you know, recruiting the locals to serve them. And so they used Jewish people to do their dirty work, their business. And how they got their business, you've probably heard this before, but a Jewish person would actually bid to become tax collector. And whoever bid the highest amount would get the job. And then he would collect the taxes. And then anything else he wanted to tack on, in addition to the taxes, he could do so. And he had the Roman government behind him providing support and, um, and military uh, encouragement if necessary. So they basically were professional extortioners. And they were cut off from their own people who despised them. Matter of fact, Cicero, the ancient historian, said the two most despised professions were tax collectors and money lenders. Why? Because they were both crooks. And the Jewish people hated them, the tax collectors especially, because even though they were Jewish, they worked for the Romans. And they hated the Romans. Now, they had taxes. They had like just a 1% poll tax. They had a head tax. They had a 10% tax, a tax on grain and fish, anything that came from the land. And that sounds pretty good. You know, that's reasonable. But in addition to that, they, the Romans had elevated the tax business to uh, an art, basically. They had taxes on, not only on the contents of a cart, but they had taxes on the cart. They had taxes on the wheels on the cart. They had taxes on the axles that the cart had. They had taxes on the beast that was pulling the cart. And Matthew's office was probably in Capernaum, which was on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee, so, so not only did Matthew tax all the fish that came out of the sea and all the carts that pull the fish and all the wheels and all the axles and all the beasts, but there was also a great trade route in the east from Damascus to the Mediterranean Sea. And so everything that passed on this trade route through Capernaum using Roman roads, Matthew taxed. And not only did he tax enough to keep the Romans happy, but he taxed enough to pad his own coffers as well. The system was open to abuse very easily. There's nobody looking over their shoulder. They didn't have, you know, anybody from the Roman government coming in and saying, you're, you're charging these people too much. If anything, they'd come in and say, you're not charging enough. And, and, and uh, Matthew had it, coming and going because if, if he's taxing somebody and they couldn't pay, then guess what he said? Okay, I'll make you a loan and then charge an exorbitant interest rate on the loan. So not only were the taxes exorbitant, but the loans to pay the taxes 
for an exorbitant rate as well. So here's Matthew. He's sitting at his desk. And incidentally, one important characteristic about Matthew is that he was educated. He could actually read and write, unlike most of the other apostles, as I said, who were just fishermen. So when Jesus looked at Matthew and said two words, follow me, Matthew left everything behind except his pen and ink because Jesus was going to use Matthew to write a gospel about him. Here's the call. Matthew sitting at his desk. Business is brisk. People are coming. People are going. He probably has a quota. You know, I want to make this much by noon in order to pay the Romans, and then everything afternoon is gravy for me. And it's bustling, and there are a lot of people, and he's at his desk, and yes, this will be that much, and this will be that much. And he probably has some assistance, you know, taking the money and counting it and keeping things running smoothly. It's a lucrative income. He is so successful. He has pros prospects for a, a very prosperous future, and things are just going well and rolling along so nicely. And one day, the money is piling up on his desk, and here comes Jesus. Now, my guess is, being in Capernaum, that Matthew had heard of Jesus and that he was familiar with his teachings and that, you know, even at a distance, um, you know, he had learned of him, but, but Matthew could not go to the synagogue um, because he was a tax collector. He was not welcome at church. And so you remember there's a parable, as a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 18 called the parable of the tax collector and the sinner, or, or, or the Pharisee and the, and the publican. And it says, he told a parable, this is Luke 18, he told a parable Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee, I'm not like other men, extortioners, looking at the tax collector, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I do all this, I'll do all this. And then it says the tax collector standing far off. Why? Because the tax collector could not come into the temple. He couldn't come into the synagogue. He was cut off from religion because the Jews believed the only person that they owed a tithe to was God. And so here the Romans saying, no, you owe us taxes, and, and they just resented that, and anybody that collected it, they considered unclean, dealing with the coins that had the graven image of Caesar on them. And so Matthew was not welcome at the synagogue. But, but he's heard about Jesus, and he might have heard about the relationship that Jesus had with sinners. And in the midst of this busy day, Jesus looks at him in verse 9 of Matthew 9 and says two words, follow me. That's it. Matthew doesn't say, who are you? He doesn't say, what do you want me to do? He doesn't say, what, what am I supposed to do with this business? He just gets up. and It's almost like the whole universe goes into slow motion all around Matthew and Jesus. 
and their eyes meet so that this questionable tax collector can hear these two words from Jesus. Follow me. And he does and never looks back. Two people, one rich in worldly possessions, one rich in heavenly promise. And Matthew leaves everything because of those two words. Follow me. And the first thing Matthew does, he leaves everything. I expect he goes home and sets his affairs in order. And the first thing he does is throw a party. He throws a banquet to celebrate his new life and to introduce Jesus to his friends. Now, who does Matthew invite to this party? The only people who will come. <laughs> Many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples. And they had a banquet. Tax collectors and sinners are there. And the Pharisees complain, Jesus, don't you know who you're sitting down with? This, I mean, this is more than just a religious faux pas. This is, this is religious suicide, Jesus. You are hanging out with the most notorious sinners in our society, tax collectors, collaborators with the enemy, um, people who steal from the, our fellow Jews and fill their coffers and fill their pockets and send the rest to Rome. Jesus, don't you realize what you're doing? But there's a passage later in Matthew's gospel. It's in Matthew chapter 21, verse 31. And as, as I was thinking about this, I thought about what was Matthew's expression when he wrote this? Jesus is saying, truly I say to you, tax collectors and harlots will go into the kingdom of God before you. Before John came to you in his way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him, and even when you saw it, you did not afterward repent and believe him. I think it's interesting that Matthew in his gospel wrote, tax collectors and harlots will go into the kingdom of God before you. Don't you think he had a smile on his face when he wrote that? Why? Because he was talking about himself. I'm a tax collector, but Jesus came into my life and changed my name from Levi to Matthew. And I left everything behind to follow him. Jesus says, yeah, I realize I'm sitting down with tax collectors and sinners. But it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Of course, as I mentioned, Jesus came to call everybody. But only the sinners listened. Only the sinners heard his call because the righteous had so convinced themselves they didn't need him. They had, um, in their own good works, their own self-righteousness, they felt like they had no need of a Savior. But those who need a Savior heard his call and followed and so Matthew invites his friends and introduced them. Same thing that uh, Philip did to Andrew 
when he's called him, or, or Nathaniel, this is, this is my, I want you to come and meet this person who called me. I want to introduce you. That's the first thing a lot of the disciples did after Jesus called them. They went and, and got their friends, family members, neighbors, and said, I want you to come and, and meet this man who called me and who knew me and who cares about me. I think that says something to us today. When Jesus comes into our life and becomes real, you know, it's the, first pre, the first person we go to is not a stranger, but it's those we care about, it's those we love, that we want to share Jesus with. I, I once had a, a man who didn't know I was a Christian come up to me and said, has anyone ever cared about you enough to tell you about Jesus? That's what we do. If you care about somebody, if you care about their eternal destiny, then you're going to tell them about Jesus. And that's what Matthew did with tax collectors and sinners because those were his friends and those were the only people who would darken the doors of his house anyway. Well, Jesus knew in calling Matthew. Matthew stays in the background most of Jesus' lifetime. As I said, in his own gospel, it's just here where Jesus calls him and then in the list. And there's no real instance other than other lists of the apostles where Matthew's name or Levi's name even crops up. But something happened after Jesus' death. Matthew wrote a gospel. And it's, it's not the first gospel in chronological order. We think Mark was probably the first gospel because it's the shortest. But Matthew is listed first in sequence in the New Testament. And what's interesting about Matthew's gospel is that after having been rejected by the Jews for being a tax collector, it's obvious from Matthew's gospel that he wrote his gospel, he wrote his story of Jesus for the Jewish people. He wrote for the Jews. Why do we say that? Well, because, first of all, I mean, you look at Matthew 1, and, and Matthew's the only gospel that has Jesus' genealogy. You remember all the sons and, and daughters identify. Why is that important? Because to the Jewish people, they wanted to know who Jesus was. What was his pedigree? What was his, his line of ancestry? And so Matthew includes that. The other gospels do not. There's a lot of interest in numbers in Matthew's gospel that aren't in the other gospel. And numbers were important symbolically to the Jewish people. But the most telling piece of evidence that Matthew wrote for the Jews is how many times Matthew quotes the Old Testament. Matthew quotes the Old Testament, and he quotes the law and the prophets, every section of the Old Testament, 99 times. More times than Mark, Luke, and John combined. And the reason why Matthew is quoting the Old Testament so much is because when he quotes the Old Testament, it's usually a prophecy about the Messiah and Jesus is trying to convince, I mean, and Matthew's trying to convince the Jewish people that, look, here's the prophecy about Jesus in the Old Testament. And here's Jesus fulfilling that prophecy. And so most of the time when Matthew quotes an Old Testament passage, it's a prophecy where he's showing the Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah who's fulfilling that prophecy. And over and over again in Matthew's gospel, you'll find him referring to the scriptures, to the Old Testament. And Mark, Luke, and John just don't have that same emphasis that Matthew does. And I wonder, where did Matthew learn the scriptures? Because he wasn't welcome in the synagogue. He couldn't go on the Sabbath 
And here the scripture is clarified. Remember, he was excluded because of his job. I think Levi, when he was growing up, probably had godly parents who took him to synagogue and taught him the Bible. And it must have broken their hearts when he became a tax collector because he sold out to the Romans for money. And then my guess is that Matthew studied the, the Bible by himself. He couldn't go to synagogue, he couldn't go to the temple, but he still had the scriptures. And he could read them and learn them. And then when he wrote his gospel, he said, oh, I remember a passage where it predicted this, that Jesus, that Jesus fulfilled. And he could incorporate all those passages trying to convince the Jewish people that Jesus was the Messiah. We don't know really how Matthew died. We don't have as much early church tradition about his, his ministry and death as we do the other apostles. But the, some of the tradition says that he did preach to the Jewish people and he ministered to the Jews both at home and abroad. And the earliest traditions about Matthew say that he was martyred probably burned at the stake. And the symbol of Matthew is not how he was killed as some of the other apostles, but the symbol of Matthew today is three bags of money as a reminder of his former life before Jesus came and said, follow me. He was a man of wealth, a man of economic security. He was the perfect example of, of someone who knew that money could make you comfortable, but never really ultimately satisfy. Never satisfy. You know, it's so easy to get absorbed with the things of this world and let that noise drown out the voice of God saying, follow me. And I wonder what would have happened to Matthew if he looked up and heard Jesus say, follow me. And instead of getting up and leaving everything and following Jesus, he looked back down at everything he'd have to sacrifice and say, um, it's not worth it. I'm sorry, I'm not going to obey. Or what if he grabbed up as much, you know, he tried to combine the two. You know, okay, I'll, I'll follow you, Jesus, if you'll let me worship on the Sabbath, let me work the other five days or six days of the week or whatever. And, you know, keep both going at the same time. But like Jesus called to the rich young ruler, I guess, give everything you have away and come and follow me. Jesus wanted to make sure that an apostle who followed him had nothing interfering in following Jesus. I wonder, you know, if, if Matthew hadn't followed Jesus, if you know, we could have come to him one day and said, well, Matthew, you, you know, you're about 65 now and you're retiring. What have you accomplished in life? And Matthew could look around at the house that he had bought on the edge of the Sea of Galilee and, you know, it's quite a spread and he could, he could point, at it, point at it out with pride and say, look at all I've accumulated. Look how well I've done in life. But, you know, we, we could really press him and say, Matthew, though, what have you really done that really matters. 
What, what difference have you actually made in someone else's life? What, have, have you ever helped anybody actually find eternity? What have you done that has eternal consequences and significance? Matthew, is, is all you've invested your life in just for right here, right now, and, and nothing that goes beyond? You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said basically that no accumulations of wealth in this world matter. The only thing that matters is what laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth. And that's the lesson that Matthew learned. So Matthew was martyred, but his story doesn't end there. We have his gospel. And, and Matthew's gospel has continued to minister to hundreds of thousands of people over the past 2,000 years. Because no success really matters unless it honors God, unless it brings glory to God. What does success in this world really, really do? It, it, you know, it provides us a living but God blesses us, not just for this world, but to lay up treasures in heaven as well, to make a difference, not just in our lives, but to those around us who have need. And to prepare ourselves for following Jesus, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and let everything else follow, but keep first things first. So, so all of you who are in the working world and have a job and have a business I wish you well, and I hope you succeed, and, and I hope things go well, but don't let it interfere in your relationship with Jesus because that's what's first, and that's what's foremost. And I, I always think about that quote by Bill Elliott, the missionary to the Alka Indians. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. The things of this world are transitory. The things of heaven are eternal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt and thieves cannot break in and steal. Business success can and often does interfere in our relationship with Jesus. If it could have done it for anybody. It could have done it for Matthew. But he heard the words, follow me. And he did. And now those two words come to us and say, follow me. And the question is, will we? Let's bow. Father, I thank you for the blessings that you have poured down upon us. You have blessed us with so much. Food and clothing. So many people have to rent storage bins because they don't have enough room in their own homes to keep all the stuff. And we just keep getting more stuff. And sometimes that acquisition of more drowns out your words. Follow me. Follow me. And we want to equivocate and we want to question and we want to doubt and we want all the answers and we want to know where are we going and, and 
what is this sacrifice going to mean? And, and you say, just trust me. Just follow me. Everything else will take care of itself. Seek me and my kingdom and my righteousness. And let all these other things of this world just take care of themselves. God, we want to be conscientious and we want to be hardworking. And, and um, you know, the American work ethic has made this, this nation great. And we're proud of that. And it's so easy in that effort to climb the ladder that we only are looking up to our boss on earth and not our boss in heaven. So help us refocus our efforts this day on you and follow you wherever you lead. We'll go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.